Hello. Whenever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakli and this is today's tech briefing. In this program, and out of the hundreds and thousands of recommendations that could be possible to then come up with the next set of 4 to 6 which will have a higher probability of driving a, a purchase from the customer because they are cognizant of the in the moment behavior of the customer that's after these headlines twitter ceo jack dorsey confirmed to investors that bitcoin will be a big part of the company's future tech crunch reported yesterday dorsey sees opportunities to integrate the cryptocurrency to existing twitter products and services including commerce subscriptions and other new additions like the twitter tip jar and super follows according to techcrunch dorsey also sees bitcoin as one of three important trends for twitter's future alongside ai and decentralization a global internet outage at network company akamai disrupted several popular indian services including paytm zomato and sony live yesterday evening Amazon, Fidelity, Airbnb, Delta Airlines and others were impacted globally, Economic Times reports. The services were restored within 30 minutes. The Reserve Bank of India is working toward a phased implementation strategy of a central bank digital currency. RBI Deputy Governor T. Ravi Shankar said yesterday, Economic Times reported, a pilot to test a general purpose digital currency is a possibility in the near future he said the central bank is framing several considerations on the scope and legal framework of the proposed cbdc that will likely coexist with cash and digital forms of payments sankar said in a virtual keynote address at the vidhi center for legal policy oneplus released the oneplus nord 2 5g yesterday the newest addition to the company's more affordable smartphone line OnePlus Nord. The Nord 2 is equipped with a 50MP AI triple camera with a Sony IMX766 sensor, an optical image stabilization, Warp Charge 65, and MediaTek's Dimensity 1200 AI processor, along with OnePlus's Oxygen OS version of the Android software. The phone will be on sale from July 28th. and prices vary from 27999 rupees to 34999 rupees depending on the variant available with 6gb 8gb and 12gb ram and 128gb and 256gb internal storage dozy a startup developing contactless remote patient monitoring has de- raised 44 crore rupees or 6 million dollars in series a funding The investment was led by existing investor Prime Venture Partners with participation from Euronest Venture Capital and 314 Capital. Dozy will use the money for R&D to launch new products and enhance its platform capabilities. The Bangalore company was founded in 2015 by Mudit Dandwate and Gaurav Parchani. It will also use the funds to increase its presence in high dependency unit ward monitoring. home monitoring and to deliver a cloud enabled continuum of care digantara research and technologies an indian space tech startup has raised 2.5 million dollars in seed funding from kalari capital to bring its space debris monitoring technologies to market 
Started in 2018 by Anirudh Sharma, Rahul Rawat and Tanvir Ahmad, Degantara is incubated at Indian Institute of Sciences Society for Innovation and Development. The startup plans to launch a constellation of nano-satellites equipped with its LiDAR and dosimeter technologies and offer subscription to its data. The choices we make, shopping online or using digital payments at physical stores, can tell companies a lot about us. I spoke to Priyanshu Mishra, product leader, and Vidya Shankar Sriram, vice president for client solutions at Crayon Data, a big data and AI company, about how their AI technologies are helping customers like large banks know their end consumers better. Here's more from that conversation. Okay, uh, Vidya Shankar, uh, Priyanshu, uh, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for making time for this. Uh, for uh, people who are not uh, familiar with uh, Crayon Data, maybe you could start uh, by telling us a bit about uh, what the company does, and then I can have some follow-on questions. Sure, Hari. Um, thank you so much for having us on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Creon Data is a nine-year-old big data and AI company. We're headquartered in Singapore with our dev center in Chennai. We're primarily, primarily focused on providing personalization capabilities in the financial services industry to help banks and other financial services providers uh, have relevant conversations with their customers. And having achieved a degree of success and maturity in that vertical, we're, we're expanding our horizons and going into other interesting applications of um, AI and marketing, and just, you know, kind of exploring other verticals as well at this point. Hmm. And uh, tell us what you started with and uh, how uh, the company has evolved uh, over the years, uh, what you do today. Sure. So it all starts with a vision, right? And, and the company's vision was to simplify the world's choice. If you look at it, it's a, um, a fairly bold and a broad statement, right? We started off with just an algorithm, some amount of external data that we'd curated on our own. And then we set about our journey trying to find uh, industries where you could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that AI-led personalization, when applied to solve the problem of choice, uh, can unlock tremendous value. We experimented with several different verticals ranging from you know, uh, digital ad serving, uh, fashion, retail, FMCG. And finally, we were able to find a very strong product market fit in the credit card business under the you know, financial services vertical. We also learned that we needed to go beyond just data science and algorithms as part of our offering, uh, because it's too much to expect a traditional enterprise to be able to just take a completely new piece of technology and plug it into their existing workflows and existing systems. And therefore, we created pretty much an end-to-end -end execution system, which is uh, complete with data, data management services, cloud and infra services, uh, channel integrations, large-scale process automation. And this really has allowed us to remove all the barriers of entry as well as the friction in terms of being able to allow our enterprises or our clients to be able to kind of leverage the power of AI and algorithms. Uh, we've grown from just being an algorithm to a full-fledged offering. We consist of about three distinct studios that have in total 12 different features. And we cater to five different business users within a bank today. We also offer our clients a host of white label ready solutions that are customer facing assets, which can all be deployed in less than two weeks. Mm. And uh, tell us about uh, your flagship product or suite of products today. Uh, how has it evolved over the years? What is it capable of today? Right. So 
Myra.ai is our core platform. It is our core personalization platform. And like I said, the entire evolution journey of you know going from just an algorithm to a full-fledged end-to-end offering has been centered around uh, the Maya.ai platform itself, within which we have um, three pieces of IP that we've created that allow, allow the platform to really operate at scale. The first one is what we call the taste graph. Uh, you can maybe imagine this as a giant web connecting any two entities with one another. The entities could be users and you know two different users. It could be users and merchants. It could also be just you know two merchants connected to one another. Basically, you know, in, in very simple terms, the taste graph allows us to say how closely related in terms of preferences would something like Savanabhan in Chennai be with Harrods in London. And this allows us to you know, be pretty global in our ability to understand customer preferences and to give them recommendations, no matter where they are physically located. The second core piece of IP that we have is what we call the choice equation. It's, it's a proprietary equation or a method, if you will, um, for how we apply the taste graph to individual users to understand their behavior, uh, the context within which they are living and operating today, their tastes and preferences, and the global as well as local influences, all of which combine to define a user's cognitive decision-making process. And the final idea is to be able to communicate, you know, as it's been said many times before, uh, the right recommendation to the right customer at, at precisely the right point in time. The third key piece of IP that we have is our ability to be completely privacy agnostic. Uh, we do not consume any identity. Uh, we do not take any PII whatsoever for Maya.ai to work. It doesn't need to know who you are because at the end of the day, when you look at a recommendation, it essentially consists of a user and an item or a merchant that is being recommended to that user. If you look at most personalization plays today, their approach to personalization is to know everything about the user. And therefore, it, it ventures into the realm of you know, being a little insensitive as far as the user's privacy is concerned. We decided to flip that equation around right off the bat when we started the organization. And rather than saying we need to know everything about the customer to be able to deliver personalization, we decided that it's, it's a lot more fruitful and in the long term, a lot more sensitive and beneficial and respectful of the customer if we do our best to enrich everything we know about the entities or the merchants that are going to be recommended to the customer. And therefore, our taste graph today contains over 6 million entities or merchants all around the world. Um, we know every single restaurant that's there. We know every single hotel that's there. In, in the key geographies that we operate in, which is um, India, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East, we have pretty much 100% coverage of every single merchant that's available. Uh, in these geographies. And that's all of these three things really put together are really what help us stand out against, you know, every other personalization play that's there. Because at the core of it, we are an AI company that has ventured into things like um, database management, into data sourcing, offer sourcing, uh, into execution, end-to-end -end execution, omni-channel personalization. So that's how we started our journey, as opposed to most of the other players who begin as either a targeting retargeting engine and just because by virtue of the fact that they know the channel preferences of the customer they start venturing into uh, spaces like personalization so for us the approach was completely different and and very unique to personalization which really allowed us to set a set of core principles as to how we were going to leverage develop and finally deliver uh, artificial intelligence to the end user and to the industry as a whole mm. Tell us about uh, how 
this idea of uh, personalization and the need for it uh, changed or became more important, uh, especially over the last uh, 18 months because of the COVID pandemic? What was your experience with your customers? Right. I think what's happened in the last, uh, you know, since pandemic, the, the way in which consumers behave and the way in which they go about their lifestyle has completely changed from being something where it was a mixture of real world and digital to being predominantly digital. We've also seen that customers pretty much pretty much stop spending on certain areas or certain pieces of their lifestyle, which they otherwise would have regularly leveraged in the past. And it was very important for us to be able to capture the way in which the customer's behavior or preferences are changing before it became the norm. And so I'll give you a couple of examples of, of trends that we caught on to very, very early on and therefore were able to uh, help our partner banks capture the trend even before it became mainstream. Uh, we observed that there was an emerging pattern of people after about you know, four months of the global lockdown where people started getting a little restless. We found that there was a tremendous dip in the amount of money that people were spending on traditional instruments. And suddenly we started noticing that customers who were stuck indoors wanted to venture out because that's our normal behavior in terms of you know, just not being big fans of captivity. And so we found this trend of staycations, which is essentially just going to a hotel in the city that you're locked down in and just getting some time away and feeling like you've you know, gotten a breather. We noticed a very small trend emerging somewhere around uh, May or June of uh, 2020. And very quickly, we identified that this was something that was you know, starting to boom. And we were able to put this together into our, uh, into our recommendation systems and very quickly make some fine adjustments such that even though most people or most traditional algorithms would have said that travel is dead, we understood that there was an emerging sub-segment of travel which possibly had not been explored or catered to before, which had started to become the norm. And sure enough, about three or four months later, it became a global phenomenon. And, and it is our ability to you know, marry external data, external trends, and very closely study internal enterprise data sets to be able to then capture some of these emerging patterns and cater to them well before you know, they become mainstream. Hmm. Uh, give us two different examples of, uh, from maybe from among your top customers uh, to illustrate how they're using Maya and your AI technologies. So uh, I'll take that, Hari. Uh, I will perhaps try to give... Uh, see, the classical example always works, which is I have a, a, a wide array of customers and I have a wide array of spends. I'm visible to their spends. I understand that and try to be a lot more personalized in my communication. And that is a classical use case. And, and we have done a lot of implementations around that use case. But what is interesting is how this can get abstracted to different levels of uh, uh, and across industries is like we have worked with a logistics player and try to understand the affinities that customers and products have, customers and customers have and products and products have, very similar to the merchant customer example, to simplify and make the entire logistics chain of uh, electronics supply to large and medium scale enterprises across Africa, Middle East, and India to get simplified. 
So which effectively means that if I'm selling laptops to, a, to an agency, I will have a better idea on what exactly is this agency looking for. Or I, I will have a better idea of what are the easiest upsells I could possibly have. So that is on the one end of the spectrum. The second end of the spectrum is, is a very interesting group of uh, banks. And this is typically happening in tier two markets is where they jump the generation, which is they were in the classical cash economy and they have straight away jumped into a wallet economy without really going through a, a plastics world. So if you look at a Singapore or a UAE and compare it to an India or a Vietnam or a, or a, or a Myanmar, they are jumping from cash straight to wallets by skipping the plastic generation. And for these firms, we have we have actually because we have been fairly early entrance into some of these journeys we have been able to set up the entire ecosystem and as well as deliver that personalization on the wallets on the digital wallets that they carry uh, which sits on a, a very different uh, data ecosystem compared to the classical plastic journey and we have been able to apply the same personalization as a concept in that environment as well and, and deliver value to our clients. Hmm. Uh, can you give us a sense of uh, the quantifiable benefits your customers have gained from using your AI? See, it's straight away, it is about increase in business value, right? Like now, if it depends upon, first of all, we have to understand the audience of the model. So for example, in the case of a classical use case, it will be the customer. And there we, we are fairly clinical in the way we measure, which is in terms of, if I don't show this personalization, where would the customer have ended up? And because of being personal to the client, where has he ended up? Now that has both a short-term and a long-term impact. It's easier to measure the short-term. It is tougher to measure the long-term. And when I say this, what it means is, suppose for example, I have to do a, a campaign around Diwali, or I want to do a campaign around summer holidays. I do a personalized campaign to you and I don't do a personalized campaign to Piancho. Now, straight away, there is an offer pickup that we measure and we provide back value back to the organization we work with and say that, you know what, your offer pickup is higher. But what gets very difficult and very interesting to measure is that as a consequence, the kind of engagement and the, as a kind, the kind of disposition you have towards the organization and how it uh, pans out over a longer term of say two or three years, and how that compares to somebody who has be become disengaged because we have not really provided a very personal offer to them and we have sprayed, done a spray all offer to them. So this is something which uh, we will continue to measure because it requires time, but straight away campaign metrics or like, you know, delivery metrics is something which uh, we are fairly clinical about and uh, we show value to our clients. If you were to step back uh, and look at uh, your customers, as well as uh, broader industry segments, sectors, verticals in general. Uh, what are some of the biggest trends you see in the way uh, large companies are uh, looking to use AI today? See, the way they are looking to use AI today uh, is primarily around ability to understand and scale with their customers. So. Uh, that's one one very large area where they struggle, which is uh, how do I build scale around the intelligence that I carry? If you take a, a classical organization, which has a set of, uh, let me call them super salesmen, how do I build scale around them? How do I 
kind of uh, uh, inherit the intelligence that they carry and deploy that at scale. How do I contact the customer? How do I treat the customer? When do I do the cross-sell? All of this is something which a lot of organizations want to scale. And uh, that is something where they look at AI as a big uh, partner. Another area where they are partnering is to make their operations smarter, which could be either in terms of how their employees are behaving, how their systems are behaving, when to predict what, can I issue, can I, find, can I find out my next breakdown in terms of my systems? So there's a lot of work that, that's happening in AI around the way we operate and to make our operations smarter. And, uh, but, the, but the larger use case continues to be how to build scale from a market reach perspective. In the context of Maya.ai, um, I guess, uh, you know, technologists have been talking about this whole idea of uh, the customer segment of one. Uh, so can you uh, dive a little deeper into the way uh, Maya works and uh, uh, how far away you might be to actually be able to come up with this customer of one and, and help your customers, uh, give them offers, etc. Uh, on a real-time basis, on the fly, and so on? So I think the Maya.ai platform is there today, right? This, this is one of the core tenants on which the organization and the platform itself was created. We knew for a fact, given that a lot of us came from an analytics services background, that approaches like segmentation were very limited. And throughout the course of, our, of the development of our entire platform and our set of algorithms, we have consciously stayed away from um, typical logistic re uh, regression-based models, uh, typical segmentation-based models, because what they tend to do is superimpose a behavior of one segment of customers onto another segment of customers. They do not inherently treat the customer as an individual. All of our algorithms focus on building out what we call the taste print or a taste profile, which is essentially a combination of all the different parameters or variables. And we have about 25 to 30 different variables that we use to define a single individual. And this cuts across not just their preferences, of course, you know, because we are enriching every single entity or merchant that the customers are, uh, are spending their money on, we know at an individual level what a person's preferences in cuisine could be what the person's preference in fashion would be, what the person's likely preference in things like color would be, et cetera. It added to that, we're also looking at the behavior of the individual itself. Is this a person who, who saves money in the beginning of the month and splurges towards the end or the other way around? Is this a person who uses card A for one segment or one category of purchase versus card B for another segment or category of purchase? Is this a person who is frequently traveling between any two destinations and therefore uh, their spends are kind of distributed over multiple locations as opposed to being concentrated in one single area? Now, if you look at the cross product of what information would be contained within this, you inherently arrive at a definition of a segment of one because it's very, very sparsely spread in terms of the information that you have in terms of customers. The data points are fairly unique when you look at them as a collective. 
And therefore, the behavior and the preferences of this individual, along with their geospatial patterns, allows us to really focus on the individual one at a time. And that's the way in which our entire recommendation flow and the overall set of algorithms have been put together. The other bit that we understand very critically is that we can try our best, but it is very difficult for an algorithm to be 100% right in terms of predicting human behavior. Because as people, we are inherently, you know, slightly unpredictable in nature. And therefore, we've, we've also accounted for that or we've accepted that. And, and nowhere do we say that, you know what, we're going to get every single conversation right 100% of the time. If you, look at a, if you look at any of the popular choice theories that are there out there, they all tend to agree on the fact that if you present a user with a very narrow set of choices, the user does not trust you because the customer believes that you're trying to force or coerce a behavior out of them. Whereas if you provide the customer with anything more than four or six recommendations to choose from, you create the problem of you know, the, the dissonance in terms of choosing or the problem of choice as it were. And therefore you leave the customer in either scenario incapable or unwilling to actually commit to anything. Whereas four to six recommendations, uh, uh, all the research points towards is the sweet spot. If you give four to six recommendations coupled with the right information to allow the user to actually make an informed decision, you are very likely to drive a purchase or a decision from the user as opposed to any of the other way around. At the same time, understanding what the user is looking for in real time, in the moment, and, and allowing for a certain amount of configurability of flex in your engagement flow or your recommendation flow to take in that, those signals from the customer, whether it's you know, something as elementary as a like or a dislike, whether it is the pattern that the user is, is, is leveraging to, to browse through the various recommendations that you're putting together for them, to be able to ingest that information in real time and out of the hundreds and thousands of recommendations that could be possible to then come up with the next set of four to six, which will have a higher probability of driving a, a purchase from the customer because they are cognizant of the in the moment behavior of the customer and therefore enabling real time personalization is what we believe is, you know, the key and the core tenants on which the entire platform has been built. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much both for the insightful conversation and uh, thank you for making time. It's been thank a pleasure. You so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was Priyanshu Mishra and Vidya Shankar Sriram. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.